place in our hearts where we should be thankful for the wilderness. How thankful are you for the wilderness? <laughs> I'm not just talking about trials and troubles and things that we go through. How grateful and thankful are you for the wilderness? Because the wilderness should hold a special place in our hearts. And uh, we preachers preach a lot about getting out of the wilderness, coming into your promise. We preach about finding an oasis in the wilderness. We preach about streams and rivers in the desert and provision and all those things. And they're all great things to preach about and to declare and to decree, to prophesy. We will come out into our promise. But there is a great reason why so much of the Bible is about the wilderness. There's a great reason why four of the greatest men in the Bible, including Jesus, were taken into the wilderness, brought by God into the wilderness. The place of wilderness is where God takes us for preparation. And in our sinful pride, we think we can manage on our own. <laughs> and even though, even, even though we've got people in our tech team going, no, 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 I can't, I can't. The sad truth about human sinful nature is that in some areas of our life, we think, oh, no, no, I'm okay, man. <laughs> and sadly, in times of peace and prosperity, and let me tell you that Australia is still, by comparison with a lot of places on the face of the earth, a place of peace and prosperity. In times of peace and prosperity, we live under the illusion that we can manage on our own and then... In our sinful human nature, we only allow God into the places in our life where we want him. And sometimes the places that he needs to go are the places that he's shutting us out of, that we're shutting him out of, sorry. And I see very clearly that God wants to do something unique with us in this time of great uncertainty. And so this morning, I'm going to speak about what is in some respects, an extension of Pastor Miles's message uh, last Sunday. And uh, if you haven't seen, heard Pastor Miles' message last Sunday, I encourage you to look it up on our YouTube channel because it is one of the great words in due season that's been released to our church. And so when, when God spoke to Abraham about Israel's inheritance in their promised land, he told them there's going to be a period of 400 years before Israel will be brought out of their bondage to the Egyptians and take their inheritance. And we also know that the bondage that Israel came into did not happen overnight. Gradually, piece by piece, their freedoms within Egypt were taken away and in some cases, criminalised. 
And so in God's fullness of time, when he said, okay, enough is enough. Now is the time I'm bringing my people out. Into this situation comes Moses. And Moses is raised as a son of Pharaoh. He's well connected. He's part of the ruling class. He is rich and he is powerful. But he also has a heart for his people. He knows his inheritance. He knows where he came from. And he has a heart for God. And in his misplaced passion, he sees what has happened to his people and he takes matters into his own hands by killing an Egyptian overseer. But unexpectedly, the very next day, his own people reject him. He realizes he's in big trouble and he goes on the run. Now let me ask you this question. Don't you think that God could have stopped him? Don't you think that God could have warned him? Don't you think that God could have said to him, Hey, Moses, <laughs> this is not your time. Wait, I have a better plan. Of course he could have, right? He's God. He didn't because what he wanted was the man that was eventually described as the most humble man anywhere in the Old Testament. He wanted a man that was malleable to God's purpose, that wasn't going to rely on his upbringing, his money, his power, his authority, or any of those things to affect change and transformation. So for 40 years, Moses was a shepherd in the wilderness. 40 years herding sheep out the backside of nowhere until his encounter with the burning bush. And the thing that struck me about this situation that Moses finds himself in is the actual irony of it. Because it's worth pointing out here that shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians and Moses was part of Egyptian royalty. The Hebrews were a nation of shepherds and in Genesis 43:32, when you read the story of Joseph's reunion with his, with his brothers, you'll see that they actually set up separate tables because the Egyptians wouldn't even eat with the Hebrews. And here is Moses who has taken matters into his own hands, made a complete hash up of it, out the backside of nowhere, become the very thing that the ruling class that he was part of had come to despise. And so Moses goes through 40 years of training in humility in a despised profession and then one day comes this pivotal moment, not just in his life, but in the life of his nation. And it's actually more accurate to describe this as a kairos moment. A kairos moment is God's appointed time for something to happen. And before I go further, let me say that we are now in a burning bush moment. We are in a pivotal moment, not just for each of us individually, not just for us as a church, but for us as a nation. We're in a pivotal moment. We're in a kairos moment. We're coming into God's appointed time. There is an open invitation to us now. 
I loved what Pastor Anne-Marie preached on Friday night about it's time for the church to rise up. And I have a sense that God wants us to rise up in a particular way. As Pastor Miles prophesied, he didn't just preach, he prophesied last Sunday that when we make the decision to turn aside, God will speak. He'll speak to me as the pastor of our church and lead me in terms of the overall future for Open Heaven Church as a ministry, but he's also speaking to each one of us who turn aside individually. Because I believe that over the next three or four weeks, God is going to unroll scrolls of people's lives and take you out of where you are now into what he has for you next. God called Moses out of where he was, which was really being trained by God, day after day after day after day, every day like the one before for 40 years, seemingly... Oh, man, is this ever going to end? And then suddenly. See, God is a God of the suddenlies, but we expect the suddenlies every day. Sometimes the suddenly comes after years where we think we're ready and God says, "Uh uh-uh, not yet. He could have spoken to Moses anywhere. He could have had a dream like Abraham did or had that encounter where God makes covenant with him. He could have sent him a prophet, but he chose to speak to him in the wilderness. And so I think about that first example, then I think about another one that that, uh, is one of my favourites. Hundreds of years later, Elijah, the prophet Elijah, found himself in exactly the same place, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, same place as Moses did hundreds of years before. In Elijah's case, he's exhausted, he's burnt out, he's ready to give up. He has run away a day's journey into the wilderness. He sits down under a broom tree And he's ready to give up entirely everything to do with his future. Don't you think that God could have come and spoken to him and said, hang on, Elijah, why exactly are you running? You just won this incredible victory over Jezebel, over the prophets of Baal. Why have you come running out here? Turn around and go back. I've got more for you to do. Don't you think he could have done that? Don't you think he could have spoken to Elijah and just encouraged him and said, well, Elijah, you know, I still have many, many things for you to do. You you know, you've got to turn around. You've got to stop feeling sorry for yourself, all the rest of it. He doesn't. He sends him an angel to propel him further into the wilderness with one meal for 40 days. This is how God works sometimes. Sometimes we're expecting a mighty deliverance because we're sitting under the broom tree feeling sorry for ourselves and God goes, well, actually, I'm sending you further into this place where you have given up 
You're going to come to the end of yourself and I'm going to move. First Kings 19.7, the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. The angel gives him a food and he goes in the strength of that food, 40 days, 40 nights through the wilderness to the place of encounter in the wilderness that God has appointed to him, Mount Sinai, exactly where God had met with Moses. And so Elijah comes to this place where he's hiding down the back of the cave and God calls him out and recommissions him on that same mountain as Moses and propels him into his future and his destiny. It's the second example. Go forward a few hundred years more and we come to John the Baptist, Matthew 3 verses 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Ever ask questions about this passage of scripture? Have you ever asked yourself why a camel's hair coat and a leather belt? Why that specific description? Why even describe what he's wearing? Why couldn't you just say, well, he wasn't particularly well dressed? It was because he had come to the realisation of his destiny. And the camel's hair coat and leather belt were exactly what Elijah the Tishbite wore. 2 Kings 1.8, when the soldiers of the king come back to Ahab because they're, uh, they're searching the whole nation, and they tell him of an encounter that they have with this prophet on the road. And the king says to him, well, what was he like? Second Kings 1.8, they answered him, he wore a garment of hair. Uh, if you look it up in the, uh, in the Hebrew, it's camel's hair, with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it's the king, it is Elijah the Tishbite. That's what he wore. Now you've got hundreds of years later, you've got John the Baptist in the wilderness wearing exactly the same thing. The identification of John the Baptist with the spirit and power of Elijah was, of course, affirmed by Jesus himself. And if you've ever been to the kingdom school that we run here, you will know that I believe that we are the inheritors of the, of the mantle of Elijah. So this begs the question, what was the pivotal moment? What was the Kairos moment in John the Baptist's life? Because I think about not just a man who 
comes seemingly fully formed out of the wilderness preaching this message of judgment and repentance, I start to ask myself the question, well, how did he come to the conclusion for himself of his identity? When did he receive that revelation from God? Yeah, yeah, those things that your mum and dad told you about all those miracles that happened around your birth and how your cousin Jesus is the Messiah, all those things are true. How did he come to that realisation for himself? Because everybody knows that you can be taught a doctrine, a belief system, a religion as a child and you will grow up believing that until you get to a certain point and at some point you've got to decide for yourself. This is true or it is not. Well, I was thinking about this and the same little passage of scripture that's that I shared from Matthew about him preaching in the wilderness is told also in the book of Luke with a key difference. Luke 3, verses 2 to 4. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. That's where he got his identification from. That's where he came into his identity. That's when he realized that everything that he'd been told was true. And he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. See, the Bible does not explicitly state exactly what the catalyst was for John's journey into the wilderness, but I can give you my take on it. John the Baptist grew up with the testimonies from his father and mother about his destiny, but there came a time in his life where he had to come to terms for himself with the weight of prophecy and destiny over his life. I know many people in our congregation and beyond our congregation, people that join us regularly on live stream who are not part of our church but watch our live stream every Sunday. And I know many of you have the weight of prophecy and destiny upon your life. And what I would say to you this morning is that this season of wilderness that we are in is the wilderness for you to come into your identity. And I believe that John chose the wilderness. He didn't have to wander out the backside of nowhere. But he knew that somehow he had to come to that place of encounter with God where he would either move into what God had for him or he would not. And we all have the same choice. He chose to put aside the distractions he chose to seek God so that God could establish his identity in an unshakable way. And God did it to such an extent that this is what Jesus had to say about him. 
Matthew 11, 11. <laughs> My favourite scripture out of the New Testament just about, apart from the ones about, no, I can't even say that. There's too many that are a favourite in any given day. Matthew eleven eleven is one of my favorites. Truly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, among those born of women there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You and I are greater than John the Baptist purely by virtue of our salvation. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Can you see the wilderness here and what it's producing here across the span of century upon century? Because Moses finds his identity in the wilderness, the law. Elijah finds his identity in the wilderness, the prophets. John comes as the greatest expression of the Old Testament prophet to usher in a new destiny for everybody who would believe in Jesus. For all the prophets and the Lord prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus to come. We must prepare the way for Jesus to come again. One more example, this time Jesus himself. Bible says, Matthew 4 verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You know... We don't get a lot of background about Jesus' childhood and his upbringing. We understand that in that time that he went missing when they went up to Jerusalem to worship and, and you know, Joseph and Mary are worried about him and they say to him when they find him, what were you doing? He said, I must be about my father's business. He knew who he was. And then there's this great public demonstration of God's power when the Holy Spirit descends bodily upon him as a dove. And the voice from heaven cries out and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What an introduction for his ministry. But see, even though he knew his identity and even though God had publicly identified him, the identity had not yet been tested. So Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why? Couldn't God have done something else with Jesus? Couldn't? Jesus is God, right? Why did he have to go this way into the wilderness? Jesus didn't have anything to prove. But if he didn't do what he did in the wilderness, we wouldn't have the example that Jesus set for us. That example was of a life lived in perfect submission to his heavenly father. The life of a man who was both holy God, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and holy man. Somebody who lived with the temptations that we do. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so he modeled what God wants us to move into. Even with only a few people in here on our tech team, it's gone very quiet. It's not a popular concept that we can live without sin. And the beautiful thing about the the grace of the gospel is that even when we do mess up, that high priest, Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, speaks greater things over us than sin has ever wrought in our lives. Here's where the lives of these four examples from the Bible intersect with ours. We have an invitation. We can choose the wilderness now and God is waiting for us in this place of wilderness. Moses prayed and fasted in the wilderness before God on Mount Sinai before the nation turned towards Canaan. Moses led the nation right to the border of their promise. Elijah went in the strength of angelic food, fasting 40 days in the wilderness to meet God at the same mountain. He came out and released a double portion on the next generation. John the Baptist ate only locusts and wild honey in the wilderness and I believe that this was prophetic fasting. The locusts represent God's judgment. The honey represents the sweet provision God makes for us through repentance. John the Baptist's message was a two-edged sword, if you like, judgment coming on the nation and God's Favour upon those who repent. A whole new way of looking at how our relationship with God is done. And out of that place where John the Baptist established his ministry in the wilderness... God released him into his ministry in such power that a huge proportion of the nation came to the Jordan to be baptised and to repent. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast and pray and be tempted and came out in the power of the Spirit to begin his public ministry in great power. And now I believe that God is calling us to fast and pray. He's calling us aside in this Kairos moment for us as individuals, for us as the church and for our nation.
So I believe that God is calling us to fast and pray for 21 days. And I believe that out of this catalyst will come a release of the fullness of his promise over us, individually, as a ministry as well. And so I want to share a prophetic vision about the future of our church that I had this week. I went home after Miles' message last Sunday and it kept turning over and over in my mind and I began preparing this message and then on Wednesday night I sat with the Lord and I had a prophetic visionary experience that was kind of unlike others that I've had because as I sat with the Lord and I had my journal uh, in front of me, I felt the Lord ask me a simple question. John, what do you see? What do you see? And as soon as he said those words, I began to see something. So I want to share this with you. I see a torch burning in darkness. And this darkness is in the middle of a vast plain. I see other torches scattered all over the plain, but these torches have either been quenched or they expired for lack of oil. And I see that this particular torch has been raised up in a particular location. And I see that it is being held up, it is raised up next to a huge reservoir of oil. I see sentries armed to the teeth, stationed in a circle around the torch and around the oil to protect it. These sentries mean that this location is a fortress of the presence of God. In the darkness outside the range of its light, I see hordes of people lost in darkness stumbling around. They have an awareness somewhere that there is light and they desire it, but in their way are forces who love the dark and want the people to stay where they are. They don't want them to get the light. I see upheaval as people try to reach the light but fall into confusion and disarray as the forces of darkness mill about them, attacking them. They are lost and they see the glimmer of light in the distance, but they don't know how to reach it. And so there's this great problem. There's this place where there is light. There's a huge reservoir of oil for that light to burn probably for all eternity. And yet people can't reach it. And I'm sitting there immersed in this experience and then I see the centuries that are guarding the fortress, a portion of these sentries move aside and a detachment from the stronghold or the fortress moves out into the darkness. They're carrying oil and they are carrying fire and they are moving towards the places where the torches have died out across the land. And though they encounter fierce opposition, they take no detours They make no concessions for the ferocity of opposition that they encounter. 
Those back at the main fortress are constantly refining the process for bringing the oil up from the reservoir and designing better ways to transport the oil and raising up people whose job it is to tend to the flame, to be stationed at the places where the torch is being carried so that flames can be relit across the land. And at first it seems the destination of each detachment that goes forth from this fortress appears to be selected almost at random. You see them going out and you can't quite see a pattern to it. But as the view before me pulls back, I see that there is actually a strategic blueprint being followed that could only be seen from a great distance, a much higher perspective. As more and more torches are relit or established in new places, more and more light begins to flood the landscape and those, le- and those heaving crowds begin to see and begin to desire the light like never before. And God took me to Isaiah 63, 60 verse 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you for behold. The darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. God is raising us up as a people to become the fulfillment of this prophetic vision. There's another prophetic vision that my wife Kerry had that I believe ties into this one. She had it a couple of weeks or a few days or a couple of weeks ago where there was a blank page and the Lord was writing on that blank page. I believe we are that blank page. I believe God is writing our scrolls now. He's writing what happens next in response to our response to his call. Some of you may remember my prophetic word at the beginning of the year that only those things that carry the imprimatur of heaven will flourish in this season. An imprimatur is the assigned authority given by somebody with authority, often given in writing. God is assigning us to harvest and to revival and authorizing us to carry out our assignments with great success. Our season of prayer and fasting, which we are going to launch into, is us humbling ourselves under his mighty hand so that we can receive the specific instructions for each one of us individually, but for us as a ministry, and carry out the assignment. So from next Sunday, the 3rd of October, beginning the 3rd of October, I'm asking everyone who is part of Open Heaven Church to fast and pray. And if you uh, join with us on live stream but you're not part of Open Heaven Church as a congregation and you would like to be part of this, 
we would welcome you to be part of this season of prayer and fasting. I would like each of us to fast and pray with the specific vision in mind that God is raising up a fortress where the light of the gospel is lit by a huge reservoir of oil that I believe God has given to us, entrusted to us, that our centuries are stationed around what God has entrusted to us and he is instructing us and training us and equipping us in how best to take that light from that torch to places that are in great darkness, places that have not heard the gospel and places where the gospel has been preached and even embraced but the light has gone out. What that looks like for me personally is different to what it looks like to you personally but we are all part of this one master plan of what God wants to do next. He wants that light going out. He wants harvest. He wants revival. Some of you may never set foot on the streets to minister the gospel in person. That's okay. That might not, that might not be what God has for you in that season. Don't be uh, fooled into thinking this is about evangelism. It's not. It's partly about evangelism, but it's also about raising up a huge flame where you people can dip their torch into that flame and carry it to wherever God is, t is asking them to go. So when we talk about fasting and praying, people ask me about fasting and I don't want to put out a big handbook about it or anything like that. Typically, if you are going to fast, you deprive yourself of solid food. Um, but I also understand that there are people that for medical reasons, for health reasons, for all sorts of reasons, that's not possible. So I would suggest to you, if you're going to join with us in fasting, take something that's important to you that you can replace with seeking God. So if you're, if you're stuck on Facebook two hours a day, fast Facebook, fast TV, fast media, fast the news. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the news oh, let's not go there and when you fast and pray we're fasting and praying and believing that God is going to release this vision as a reality but what we're also doing is we're fasting and praying we're asking God God what do you have for me as part of this vision what part do I play so that this light goes out? What is it that you want me to do? How am I to contribute? Am I a sentry? Am I somebody who trains people in how to handle the oil? Am I somebody who is to carry the flame? Am I somebody who's going to be the body part of the bodyguard for those who carry the flame? Am I going to be a sentry outside the walls? Am I going to be a watchman? Am I going to be a prophet? Am I going to be somebody who... Uh, who actually fashions those torches ready for the oil to be to be ready for the torch to be dipped in the oil? Am I going to be the person that's lighting the flame? What is it that you want me to do as part of this vision, Lord? Worship team, can you come up, please? I want to finish with a, a scripture that. Uh, that I believe is appropriate for each one of us as we launch into this. So 
just remember, so we're clear, starting from next Sunday morning, and the reason I'm leaving a week so, so nobody's got the excuse that I just bought the groceries and I don't want to waste the food. <laughs> I know none of you would do that, but... <laughs> um, lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, I'm coming to that one. <laughs> uh, the, re- the reason uh, I want to start it next Sunday is I want to make sure that everybody knows. It's not tomorrow, it's next Sunday for 21 days. So we would be breaking our fast um, the third Sunday after, after three weeks. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but the 24th of October. And who knows, by that time, we may actually be able to have a physical service in this place with everybody vaccinated or not. We aren't opening until unvaccinated can join vaccinated in this place because I'm not the New South Wales government's enforcer of vaccine apartheid. just thought I'd put that in there. Uh, Okay, the scripture that I believe is appropriate for each one of us in this season of fasting, Habakkuk 2 or Habakkuk 2, depending on which pronunciation you like. Uh, Habakkuk 2 verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. You can expect in any season of prayer and fasting that there is going to be a sizable chunk of repentance released to you because prayer and fasting is humbling ourselves before God. And when we humble ourselves before God, we can expect he's going to say, well, John, actually, this that you're doing over here or this attitude that you have here needs to change. And because you're fasting and praying, you've opened yourself up to the Spirit of God. It's like pouring accelerant on a fire, which is a good thing. Amen? So, Lord, I just, I'm submitting this prophetic word to everybody in our congregation. I'm asking you to come into agreement with me on it. I believe that at the end of that 21 days, we're all individually going to have a clearer picture of what God desires for us in this next season. I believe with all my heart he is bringing us out into rich fulfillment. I believe that it's time. It's time now. It is time where God fulfills his plan and destiny for us as a church, as a ministry, and for us as individuals. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the way that you are speaking to all of us in this season. I thank you, Father God, that bonds of discouragement and depression are being broken in this season, Lord. I thank you, Father God, that even in this place of wilderness, Lord, you are doing a deep work in every heart, Father God, where I believe that God is placing courage in hearts right now, even as I'm speaking. Courage is coming to you. Courage is coming to you. You are being encouraged. You are being filled with fresh courage to walk forward into what God has for you next. I thank you, Father God, that discouragement is being broken. I thank you, Father God, that the lies of the enemy that have taken root in people's heart, 
they're being extracted now. Those lies of the enemy that have taken root and twisted thoughts and twisted heart attitudes, those things are being broken and taken out now by the power of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for soft and malleable hearts to hear what you would say to us in Jesus' name.